While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. In December of 1778, the British Army captured the city of Savannah, driving out the Americans under General Robert Howe. Howe and his men moved up the Savannah River while the British prepared to follow them and take Augusta. The British commander reported that they were so successful that locals began joining their forces, convinced that the war was nearly over. The people of the area were deeply divided between loyalists and rebels, and at the time the loyalists were on top. American patriots were having their property confiscated and were ostracized from their communities. However, resistance was growing in small groups. One small advance force of British troops was driven out of Burke County, and as word of that victory spread, people became bolder about taking up arms against the British. Augusta fell in January of 1779, and the British began setting up military posts throughout the area. Many patriots crossed the river into South Carolina rather than take the loyalty oath at gunpoint, and a lot of them gathered under the command of Colonel John Dooley. He was joined by men under the American Colonel Pickens, and both groups prepared to cross the river and attack the British in their camp. The British weren't there. They had marched off to inspect the British outposts. The Americans began chasing after them. They came to a fort in Elbert County and began a siege, but the Americans had to break it off when word came that 600 Tories, or British loyalists, had entered the area and were camped at a bend in Kettle Creek. Kettle Creek runs through Wilkes County. It's named after a kittle, which is a type of fish trap. This is Moving Through Georgia and the Battle of Kettle Creek. The leader of the British was James Boyd, an Irishman from South Carolina. He had been commissioned as a colonel in order to recruit soldiers among the people of the South. He had come to Kettle Creek after tearing through South Carolina. He was said to be leading bandits and murderers. Wherever they went through the Palmetto State, they left a broad track of blood and pillage. The Americans knew they had to drop everything and deal with the new invaders or else they would suffer the same. Pickens and Dooley marched to intercept Boyd, and other smaller troops gathered to prevent Boyd entering Augusta. Boyd came to the Savannah River at a spot called Cherokee Ford. This site was guarded by an American lieutenant and eight men with two swivel guns, which were essentially small cannons. Boyd demanded that they be allowed to pass the ford, but the Americans threatened to fight. He considered his options and moved on, leaving the brave Americans behind. When Boyd actually crossed the Savannah River, the Americans were there to fight. The locals were eventually driven off by the British, but not before causing 100 British casualties to their 32. There's a lot of movement, quick fighting, and river crossings in the next few days. What matters is that the Americans were attempting to stop a much larger British Loyalist force that would wreak havoc on their homes and families if they failed. Finally, the Americans approached the British encampment on Kettle Creek from three sides, 
Pickens attacked the camp from the front while Dooley and Elijah Clark came around the sides. Boyd was shot in the fighting by a group of Georgia militiamen who had gotten lost and somehow found themselves walking into the British camp. Without their leader, Boyd's men panicked and began trying to escape. About 150 would later be taken prisoner and 20 or so would be killed. Those who escaped the Tory camp never reorganized. Most returned to their homes to face justice from the Americans. Some left for Creek or Cherokee lands, or they went to the British in St. Augustine. At the close of the fighting, Boyd was discovered to be mortally wounded, but was still alive. He asked how the battle had ended, and it was explained to him, and as he had only a short time to live, he was able to dictate a letter to his wife, and he died in the night. The prisoners that were actually taken during the actual battle, which was only about 20 men, were taken to South Carolina and tried for treason. They were all found guilty and all sentenced to death, but only the five worst offenders were actually hanged. The British were outraged, and they may have had a good point. Technically, these men were prisoners of war and should have been treated as such. The British threatened to treat their American prisoners with the same disregard for military custom, but they never really followed through. The Americans at that point were too disorganized and might take it upon themselves to escalate any bad treatment of prisoners. The remaining prisoners were pardoned. There are a lot of names that come up in the story of Kettle Creek. This is where Nancy Hart lived, and her husband actually fought in the battle. Another significant figure I've only managed to mention once was Elijah Clark. Elijah Clark was born in 1742 in North Carolina. He came to Georgia in 1774 and settled in Wilkes County. He joined the militia in the fight against the British as a captain. His first fight was against some Native Americans who were attacking a wagon train he had been assigned to protect. He also fought in East Florida. After Kettle Creek, the Americans who had fled to South Carolina began to return to their homes, and Clark was assigned the important job of protecting those homes from Native American raiders who might take advantage of any post-battle chaos. He recruited men and manned the forts around the area. His men harassed the British in South Carolina and fought a few guerrilla conflicts at places like Musgrove's Mill and Long Cane. At Long Cane, he was wounded and shortly came down with smallpox, but he recovered in time to see the Americans retake Augusta. At the close of the war, he was rewarded with land for a plantation along with a few thousand land grants. He may have been involved with the Yazoo land fraud. I've done an episode about that. He served in the State Assembly and the State's Constitutional Convention. What Clark was really interested in, though, was for the hunting lands of the Creeks to be open for settlement. A treaty signed in New York in 1790 halted Georgia's settlements to the west and actually returned some land to the Creeks. It will become common for the federal government to write treaties that the state of Georgia completely ignores, but in this case, Clark thought he saw a loophole. The treaty allowed the Creek to expel or punish intruders, and Clark felt that the settlers the Creeks would not or could not expel should be allowed to stay. In 1794, Clark resigned from the militia and was commissioned a major general in the French army. 
His plan was to attack Spanish Florida, and he began recruiting troops. The invasion never happened, and rather than disband his army, Clark crossed the Oconee River and began seizing Creek land. For whatever reason, the Creeks didn't resist, and Clark began inducing people to settle the new lands as quickly as possible before the federal government could react. This settlement is now called the Trans-Oconee Republic. Six forts were built to protect the settlement, a constitution was written, and officials were elected. It was Elijah Clark's own small independent state within Creek Territory. George Washington believed that Clark's actions would harm relations with the Creek and the Spanish, and Governor Matthews was pressured to bring Clark's experiment to an end. Choosing to take up the fight himself rather than allowing the federal government to intervene with their own troops, Matthews publicly condemned the settlement. Clark crossed the river and willingly surrendered, but the judges released him, and he went back. This put Matthews into a serious dilemma. The federal government was pressuring him to end this settlement, but Clark was popular among the people, and the last thing Matthews wanted to do was to return any land to the creek. It would also put everyone in Georgia in danger, because the creek would clearly see that any treaties with the federal government were worthless in Georgia. So Matthews eventually sent troops against the settlement. The militia stopped at the Oconee River and offered full amnesty to anyone who returned to American land without violence. Surprisingly, pretty much everybody, including Elijah Clark, took them up on it. After returning, he would, as I said, have some role in politics, and he would die not that long after in 1799. You can find Elijah Clark as a character in a book called The Hornet's Nest, which was actually written by former President Jimmy Carter, the first American president to write a work of fiction. And this is not a work of fiction. This is Moving Through Georgia, a Northeast Georgia history podcast that wanders around a little bit. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us five stars on whatever podcast app you listen on. Okay, have we heard the name Clark before? Well, if you live in Northeast Georgia, you absolutely have. When Clark County was founded in 1801, it was named after Elijah Clark. And Elijah Clark did have a son named John Clark, who served in the American Revolution and who also fought at Kettle Creek. John Clark would later serve two terms as governor, and would give his name to the county seat of Habersham County, Clarksville.